0: In December, there are 200 holidays and observances, and while few of us have the interest, time, or energy to celebrate them all, many of us will celebrate at least a few. In that vein, we'll be replaying two of our most popular episodes, and we'll return with a new conversation on January 6th, 2024. Episode 24... Which was first released in December 2022, features licensed therapist and mental health consultant Georgia Bryce Hutchinson. In this conversation, we discuss a number of timeless issues associated with exposure to psychosocial hazards in the workplace. From her view, on the front lines dealing with the results of these exposures to individuals, organizations, and families, Ms. Bryce Hutchinson is of the belief that work shouldn't hurt emotionally. Remember, if you have a lived experience, research, or expertise in psychological health and safety, occupational health and safety, human resource management, or workplace mental health that you'd like to share, please reach out to us on LinkedIn or send an email to david at id 2 Solutions. Previous episodes of the podcast can be found at psychhealthandsafetyusa.com or viewed on the Flourish DX YouTube page. Please like, subscribe, and share episodes with your colleagues, friends, and family. Until next time, to you and yours, we wish you a healthy, safe holiday season and a spectacular new year. We can't wait to share what's up next. On the Psych Health and Safety USA Podcast. From Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety USA Podcast. As workplace mental health has become a global priority, there's a greater focus on addressing psychosocial hazards. Each episode, we look at psychological safety from an occupational health and safety perspective. Let's talk Psych Health and Safety. Welcome to this week's Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. I'm your host, Dr. I, David Daniels, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Each week, we seek to increase awareness of the importance of psychological health and safety by learning from the lived experiences, research, and expertise of our guests, as well as advocating strategies to reduce harm and minimize vulnerability to psychosocial hazards in the American workplace. An overwhelming majority of the people in the United States seem to think that the country is experiencing a mental health crisis. According to a recent survey from CNN in partnership with the Kaiser Family Foundation, nine out of 10 adults say they believe that there's a mental health crisis in the US. And according to some data from, the mental, from mental Health America, between 2019 and 2020, Twenty point seven eight percent of adults were experiencing a mental illness. Now, this is equivalent to over fifty million Americans. Over twelve point one million individuals reported serious thoughts of suicide. Twenty two point eight seven of adult percent of adults who reported experiencing uh, these mental health challenges, they suggest that they're having fourteen or more mentally unhealthy days each month, and they're not able to see a doctor due to cost. As a matter of fact, in my home state of Georgia, which is ranked 51st in access, over a third of the adults experiencing frequent mental distress are unable to to afford a doctor's visit. So while this podcast has been primarily focused on the impact of psychological health and safety in the workplace, this data makes it really, really clear but this issue extends well beyond the workplace into the homes, the communities, uh, the just the places that we are every day in this country. So, in this episode, thought it was great to bring somebody on who can talk about mental health in general, uh, not just someone like me who is a safety professional who has an interest in mental health. But that's certainly not my wheelhouse. But uh, we're we're in good stead in this episode. So. Uh, the way that I introduce folks on the podcast is I jump right in there with a question. And uh, so today, Georgia Bryce Hutchinson is my guest. And my first question to you, Georgia, is Who is Georgia?
1: Hi, Dr. Daniels. Thank you so much for having me. We've been planning this for quite some time. So I'm very happy that we were able to slow down long enough to get the ball rolling. Uh, who is Georgia? You know, that's a very loaded question, sir. Very loaded. Um, I smiled when I, when I, when you pointed it out, uh, to me that this is one of the things that you were going to be asking, because this is something I ask my clients all the time. Um, and it takes a lot to give a response on that. I like to say from a philosophical standpoint, I am a direct expression of, uh, my creator. Um, I think I'm a culmination of many experiences and stories um, that I bring to the forefront from which I seek to serve my generation. Um, in my former life, I was a, an environmental scientist for a while. <laughs> for seven years, I worked in as an environmental scientist and I shifted into environmental engineering in which that I worked in that field for about nine years. And then I shifted over into the field of mental health. And I've been working in that arena since 2016. So I'm just a culmination of many stories, many experiences, but they all point in the direction of serving humanity. Um, I am a private practitioner. Uh, I own the company Building Families According to Pattern, where I provide Therapeutic services to couples, whole families, as well as individuals. And then recently, I've been getting more into mental health consulting and training at the corporate level. This is something that I'm very passionate about because I am a big advocate for mental health awareness. As you know, we've crossed paths at some of these um, industry conferences, and this is a very deep passion for me. I am a speaker, obviously, (laughs) I'm a presenter, I'm an author. I'm a daughter. I'm a wife. I'm all of those things, all wrapped up in one. <laughs>
0: wow, wow. Uh, I, so you, something I didn't know, or maybe you shared that with me, and I, I forgot. So how does a person get from environmental science? What's the connection between environmental science and mental health? How, how, Let how, me tell how, you how that happened.
1: No, you know, I. It's it's just weird. I've always had a passion for working with people. And I'll tell you, when I worked in the environmental engineering um, in that world, I'd say the most exciting part of my job was the client relations. And I enjoyed working or interfacing with my clients. Um, I think for a very long time, there were breadcrumbs indicating that this is the direction in which I needed to go because I've always been the person people would come to for answers and problem solve. And I'm very solution focused. Um, I have a desire to see people excel. And so even in my role as an environmental scientist slash engineering, I was doing a lot of more people-oriented work. So what's the connection? You're dealing with people, Um, whether they're environmental scientists, whether they're environmental engineers, whether they're um, people in the construction world, the manufacturing world, you're dealing with individuals. So I, I'd say somebody has to be able to bridge the gap. And I think my background helps to facilitate that. Um, I have some insight into how that world operates, but now I'm bringing my skill sets from the world of mental health into this arena to be able to have impact so that it's not just, I know Dr. Daniels, you talk a lot about psychological safety. It's not just physical safety where we've predominantly put our Emphasis now—it's bringing the psychological or the human piece to it. So yes, there is a connection. Whatever industry we're in, there's always a connection between when it comes on to mental health and working with people in various sectors of society.
0: Absolutely. So, so you mentioned it uh, just just in passing, but tell me when you either first heard or when you now hear. The term psychological health and safety, what pops to mind for you? What what does that engender for you when you hear that, that statement?
1: Yeah. Um I'll be honest, for me, psychological health and safety means freedom. I think that's the one word that that surfaces whenever I think about psychological health and safety. I think of freedom being able to show up as my authentic self in a work environment or any environment for that matter, where I'm able to be who I am and bring the best of me into that space. I also think about being able to give full expression to my potential without fear, without um, caps, being in the environment, without being limited um, in terms of my creativity, in terms of my innovation. Um, I've done a lot of research on psychological health and safety because by virtue of what I do in the you know, crossing interfacing with OHS and EHS professionals, um, and I think about just this this desire to everybody has the desire to just be the best version of themselves. Everybody wants to be able to show up at the table as themselves fully. And so, when psychological safety is not present, you you literally put a cap on that individual, and that, in its sense, in a sense, becomes a source of oppression. It becomes a source of depression. It becomes a source of um, anxiety. It becomes, it, it, it takes away from the essence of who you are as a person. Mm. So absolutely, psychological safety is one of those things. It's not just uh, 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 an industrial terminology or manufacturing terminology or an OHS pers- uh, terminology. I think that's across the board, any kind of work environment that we're in. That's very, very important. Absolutely.
0: Very important for me. Yeah. So, so we, I, I, and, and, you know, the other, uh, at least the other podcasts in this family talk about the importance of both focusing on the organization and the environment that people are in. But, you, you know, it's something that you said, again, it triggers another thought for me. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of both the person feeling safe themselves to bring themselves? and the environment allowing or facilitating and helping that happen. So I I, I think there are two sides. I, I just want to see if you, what's your thought about the importance of a little bit of both?
1: I mean, you can't have people showing up being the best version of themselves or bringing themselves fully into the work setting without the environment being created to facilitate that process. Um, granted, You know, we know people have their own intrapersonal or internal conflicts that they deal with. So the environment could be right, but the person has his or her own challenges that they're dealing with. And that's something that you have to work on on an individual level. So that's the work that the individual has to do. But the environment can also help to facilitate that process. And so if we're not intentional with creating environments in which people can show up, even with their own idiosyncrasies, and still be able to function, still be able to get guidance, still be able to have room to grow or to evolve, um, it makes the situation even more complex for that individual. You know, a, a lot of my growth, for example, took place on the job. <laughs> it, it was, mm-hmm. I mean, it, I mean, I've worked in different environments. Um, it wasn't necessarily the most pleasant experiences that helped to facilitate my growth. But I'll say honestly, unequivocally, whether it was from a professional standpoint or from a personal standpoint, a lot of my growth as an individual occurred in a work setting, right? So leaders have to be willing to not only see their workers as just workers or just cogs in the system. I, use, I like to use that terminology. It's not just workers, you're dealing with whole people. And so Apart from just setting infrastructure in place to make sure that work is occurring or that people are meeting their their job, whatever jobs, whatever skills that you hired them to do and to follow through on, 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 on their commitment in terms of work. You also want to be able to create an environment in which people are also growing, because if they are, then they're able to bring the best of themselves to work. And it, that, at the end of the day, it's just going to impact the organization.
0: Mm. Both
1: people both will win. The organization will win, the 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 individual themselves will win.
0: Wow. That's uh that's that's pretty powerful. Pretty powerful. And and so it now looks like it looks like you're actually working on both sides of that equation. Uh so you shared a little bit about your background as a therapist. Let's get into more detail. So again, how how does it environmental engineer end up becoming a therapist? (laughs) i mean what i mean the steps you go through because I-, I
1: know i know it, it is it is a stretch in all honesty because when you think of it from in terms of thought paradigms it literally is the opposite sides of a coin Both, yes right um the engineer is very logical <laughs> very rational very black and white very pragmatic uh the therapist it's 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 more soft it's more um abstract um it's more you know we like to use the word the term touchy feeling uh somehow i've been able to marry both worlds somehow i've been able to 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 make that it's not a transition because i really believe i have both feet still in both environments i still function very much as an engineer i'm still very much logical i'm still very much black and white i'm still very much rational still very process oriented in my thinking still very systematic and even with working with clients i take that approach as a therapist and it actually works I think at the end of the day, um, Dr. Daniels, it comes down to valuing people. That's how I made the crossover. Because if you value people, no matter what industry or arena you're functioning in, valuing people, there's a way you go about relating to people. There's a way you go about treating people. So it's not that foreign. Even though somebody may not be schooled, for, for example, you're not schooled in psychology as I am. But if you value people, you're gonna show up and treat people a certain way that it doesn't require to be qualified as a therapist to be able to treat the individual the way the person wants or needs to be treated.
0: Right, absolutely. Wow, and yeah, thanks for that encouragement to kind of continue (laughs) some of. I'll I'll be honest, some of the way that I deal with people I learned from my mom. Mm. That I I watched her, and I continue to watch her. uh, Just the. I share with people, she's one of the most forgiving people on the planet. I haven't quite got there yet, (laughs) but but, uh, it's, it's watching the way she's, you know, over the course of my life interact with, with other people. You tend to like all mammals do. We tend to imitate behavior that we see. Um, But that goes both ways. That goes both ways. My observation is that a lot of the kind of negative kinds of environments that people are in. They are simply replicating or duplicating behavior that they've seen or experienced themselves. And so one exactly. of the things I do and, and and thanks a lot for participating is I, I'm continuing this research around the kinds of hazards that people have been exposed to. So if can you think, you know, think of some of the things that you saw in the survey, can you think of a situation that either you or you observe someone else, a, a kind of a Psychosocial hazard they were exposed to. And, you know, again, your background being an engineer and not being a therapist, but you can look at that and go, like, that probably shouldn't go that way. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't, I don't, you know, I I don't need, you'll need background again in occupational safety and health either. I mean, to be able to recognize it, there's something about that that doesn't look right. So, can you share, you know, to to the extent you, you feel comfortable, an experience that either you have or you're aware of someone else that had that? It went like this, but it probably should have gone another way.
1: Absolutely. Um, I could talk about myself and I had to kind of, you know, review or do a preview of uh, the span of years I've worked for someone else. I've, I've worked for, the, uh, for other organizations because I currently work for myself. And uh, one thing I think really stood out for me was um, the lack of constructive performance feedback and evaluation process. Um, And I coupled that with the lack of encouragement and acknowledgement. That was a big thing for me. When I worked in an organization, I struggled with that tremendously. Um, And I hated the end of the year, every year, when we had this 360 (laughs) performance evaluation because the feedback that I would get, perhaps it was how it was handled, how it was conveyed. It It didn't add value to me, number one. It took from me. Because here... I was sitting in front of a supervisor who was giving me feedback from, I'd like to classify it, a bunch of people sitting behind computers, typing something about me. I don't know who it was, but it wasn't something that was necessarily pleasant. And at the end of the day, it often seemed to come down to not my work performance, but a, a difference in personality. So you were uncomfortable with my personality, my person. And that's what you were critiquing or criticizing because then when you needed to provide, you know, insight as to what, what was the course of action I then need to take to change outcomes, it was nebulous. There wasn't any concrete information that you could provide me with to say, Georgia, this is what we need you to do, A, B, C, D, in order to become better so that a year from now, you're in a different space, right? So that was one big issue for me. I struggled with that. I, I dealt with that for a number of years. Um, there wasn't any clear cut goals established in terms of, all right, this is what we're wanting you to do. This is how we want you to go about doing it. And then there was no follow up mechanism in place. There was no accountability. So I'm going to wait a year from now for you to come back and sit in front of me and provide more information, these numbers comparing me to other people in the office and still leaving me in the space of, okay, you're telling me these things, but what is it you want me to do? Now, I could tell you, Dr. Daniels, that was a very discouraging experience for me. And I'll tell you that it took from me as an individual. It it eroded parts of my self-esteem working working in that environment. The constant comparison to other people, not because of my work performance, but because of a difference in personality. And if I'm experiencing it, I'm almost sure that other people are also experiencing (laughs) it. it. It's this idea of feeling marginalized or ostracized and um, it didn't help me as a person.
0: Mm. Mm. Wow. I I, often when I'm in these conversations with folks, I have to, you know, kind of snap myself back because I, I I felt the same thing. I felt the same thing in, well, I would say probably every single solitary situation. There's probably one exception. There's one exception. I actually had a, you know, I actually had a, a supervisor. So he started off as a supervisor. We grew to, you know, friends and, you know, and and uh, you know, unfortunately lost him uh, not recently. But he, he, that's why he stands out, is the person who I really felt like was trying to help me the way I was. Yeah. And not trying to make me something that I was not. Exactly. And, I, and, I, and I, again, I, it really resonates when you say how we sit down for these ridiculous performance yes. evaluations. And, and what makes them ridiculous? Here's here's part of the thing that, that to me makes them, and I'm not gonna editorialize here. What makes often them kind of ridiculous is a the standards by which the evaluation are being given are nebulous. Yes. Uh the and even if the standards are clear and objective, people don't get trained on how to do it. <laughs> you know, and we and and it's often, as you said, not really connected to performance in terms of the work it is presentation in terms of the person yeah and and you get people starting to even question themselves and wonder and well there's something wrong with me (laughs) and and i I feel like any environment where i have to question myself i'm in the wrong environment exactly really
2: exactly and
1: not knowing you know and then not knowing who who is saying these things or suggesting these things um and not understanding why won't you sit and have a conversation with me? Um, you've kind of reduced me to a, a, a set of statistics.
0: Right, absolutely. So, so, <laughs> so, uh, is it possible that those kinds of exposures, and, and again, you know, a psychosocial hazard is a psychosocial factor that's perceived or experienced by the person as a threat to them that in turn uh, motivates their behavior in some way. Do you see people in therapy that uh, the source of their or part of the root of their challenge is that environment? Absolutely. Okay, so say more. Tell us more. Absolutely.
1: Again, you cannot separate the person from the worker. This is something that I've been constantly in, in the environments in which I've had to present. This is something I've constantly shared that you cannot separate the person from the worker. You're dealing with a whole entity. This is why we do total worker health, right? Um, if, you're, if you're addressing people, uh, you are addressing or dressing themselves, the person, right? the personality, the essence of who the individual is. And if it's not in a light that is healthy or constructive, because there's nothing wrong in giving feedback. There's nothing wrong in even critiquing people. But if you're doing it in a manner that's not adding value or making or adding to the person's sense of worth, it is going to affect the person's internal disposition and their view of self. Once that starts happening, you're eroding at the individual. How will this person be able to show up on the job effectively and work, work well, Um, whether it's issues of microaggression that we talk about a lot, whether it's issue of implicit bias, uh, perceived racism, you know, listen, whether it's, whether it's truth or not, it's the individual who's perceiving it and it's their truth. So it is going to show up in how they show up at work, you know. I'm not going to be my best self in a work environment if I'm feeling this way. And if I'm perceiving in my mind that people are thinking these things about me, I'm going to come and I'm just going to want to do the bare minimum. Mm. You know, um, I struggled with that. I struggled with not wanting to show up for work. And even if I did show up for work, I didn't want to interface with the, the people around me, which wasn't helping because if you're in a work environment, a part of you being healthy is that you're able to relate to other people in a healthy way. Not wanting to, not, you know, isolating, staying away because you're not knowing who's thinking these things about you, who's saying these things about you. Um, Not feeling that your best is good enough. Not feeling that you're functioning at the top of your game because what is being, your feedback you're receiving has nothing, again, to do with your work, as it was in my case. So, no, it affected me from a psychological standpoint. It made me anxious. And that's one of the reasons a lot of people tend to come to therapy. And it 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 was a source of depression. Mm. So so absolutely there again there is no divide.
0: Oh boy, wow! So I I find it interesting uh, that particularly here in the United States, that's where I live, (laughs) uh, and I'm finding it's a it's a pretty universal issue. Is that employers seem to respond much more quickly? So if you come into work and you have a a, a cane because you've you know had surgery on your knee they seem to respond to that a lot quicker than when you come to work and say you know i'm i'm just not feeling well i'm not emotion i'm just not i'm not feeling it i mean i'm not so what what advice or thoughts do you give to again on both sides to the person who's experiencing that and then to the organization, because I, I actually believe that there are organizations out there that want to get this right. They Absolutely. Do. Absolutely. They, they, but when they went to business school or the person that they worked for <laughs> or the environment that they've been in, that's not what they got. They got more of the command and control, and you got to be in charge. And that's just what they got. And there and I think there are people on the organizational side that are looking for different different ways. So so from the person's perspective and from the organization, what what do you suggest to people who actually want to do this a little bit better?
1: So again, I, I really believe the idea of that total worker health approach is most most poignant here or most important. If you are if you view your workers from the standpoint of being humans, as you are human, from the position of the leaders, no, you are, you are leading an organization. Your organization is comprised of people who are just like you. Whatever your needs are, whatever it is that you're expecting to be able to function at the best or at your optimal capacity as an individual, the people who are working for you are needing the same ingredients because we're human beings. It's very difficult. It's going back to what you were talking about earlier on, Dr. Daniels, about uh, why is it we tend to respond more quickly to physical concerns than to mental or emotional concerns? I believe because physical, it's more tangible. I can identify if there's a burn. I can identify if there's a broken limb. I can identify if there's a cut. It's very hard identifying when there are intrapersonal conflicts taking place inside the individual. It's very hard to identify Or it's not tangible when somebody's saying to you, I'm not feeling, I'm feeling depressed or I'm feeling very anxious. It's very hard for that to, how does that look? Because that's more of a subjective experience. But the reality is, it's credible and it is going to show up in how the individual is performing. And ultimately, it's going to affect the bottom line of the organization. Because again, we know people call off from work more for depression and anxiety than they do for other things. Right? Mm. So, Mm. So at what point in time do we come to terms with the fact that, you know what, maybe this is real. At what point in time do organizations come to terms with the fact that maybe we cannot keep ignoring this dynamic anymore. There is something serious at work here because it's affecting our bottom line. I think about one of the very, one of the reasons that really pushed me wanting to get more into the corporate setting to amplify mental health awareness. I am I'm at the end, I'm an end provider. Uh, within this, the context of this thing. So I think about last year, for example, I had two individuals who came to me because they were dealing with significant anxiety. They were also dealing with suicidal ideation. And one of them had actually attempted suicide twice. Now, these individuals didn't know whether there was a system in place at work that they could have whatever protocol was in place to say, let me go to my supervisor and speak, let them know this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm struggling with, and the issue could be addressed. No infrastructure was in place as far as they knew. All that happened is that I had to immediately write leaves of leave of absences for these two individuals that perhaps expanded to about two months each. So your worker doesn't show up tomorrow morning and for two months they're off the job you as an organization, you're going to be scrambling to find somebody to replace that individual. That's going to cost you time. That's going to cost you money, right?
2: Hi listeners, Jason here. We hope you're enjoying this latest podcast episode. Now, if you're like Joelle, Alicia, and myself and enjoy learning from the best, then the Flourish DX Academy is for you. The academy includes free e-learning courses on the ISO 45003 standard for psychological health and safety at work and associated topics such as how to conduct a psychosocial risk assessment and how to create the business case for psych health and safety. All courses feature high quality videos, downloadable resources, multi-choice questions and a downloadable training certificate on completion. Take your learning to the next level with all FlourishDX Academy courses included within the FlourishDX mobile app. Select podcast episodes from the Psych Health and Safety podcast and sister podcasts from Canada and the USA are also included. Get started with FlourishDX for free at www.flourishgx.com forward slash get hyphen started. That's www.flourishgx.com forward slash get hyphen started. Now back to this episode.
1: If you are not, if you're not intentional with putting systems in place to ensure that Not only, again, are you dealing with because we do very well with the physical health, we have medical uh, uh, stuff in place for our workers. If you're not intentional, just as intentional when it comes down to mental health concerns, you're going to run into these situations where we on the end are issuing out leave of absences and you're going to be left scrambling to figure out what you're going to do when your worker is gone for two months. Again, it's not something that we could be laxed with. And again, pointed it out, Dr. Daniels, there are lots of organizations that are getting it. Um, Khalila and I, Khalila Gaya and I recently attended um, L'Oreal, the L'Oreal division in New Jersey. And we were able to do a two-day training on mental health literacy and crisis response and intervention training. And kudos to L'Oreal. I have to pick them up as far as that's concerned. And there are a lot of other organizations that are beginning to pick up on, you know what? We, again, we're excelling when it comes onto physical health and safety. We're gonna have to start bringing the same weight when it comes onto mental health issues.
0: Yes, yes, yeah. I uh, and, and I think the the awareness is actually happening faster here in the U.S. than it has in other countries around the world. Yeah, because of what they have done that we haven't. So you've got all these examples of other places around the world who've been studying and researching and trying to come up with standards. They've done all this work. And we're kind of waking up from the pandemic going, like, hold up, something's wrong. Yes. And people have started to notice that, well, hey, it's going on over there. And now I I think there's some pressure, particularly for these big organizations that do business, you know, around the world. They have to get this or they won't be able to uh attract great workers and talent Absolutely. they 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 won't be able to comply with the standards that exist so there's this, this kind there's of There's a cultural
1: pressure. shift there's a cultural yes. shift that's occurring and I you know as much as we suffered because of covid-19 I will have to say covid-19 has been a gift that keeps on giving because I believe what covid-19 literally did was level the playing field when it comes on to this idea of conversing about mental health It wasn't just the workers that were affected by COVID-19. People in leadership were also affected by it. So people are coming back into the work environment at different tiers of an organization. And now they're more aware of anxiety. They're more aware of depression. People who were impacted by, you know, losing family members as a result of COVID-19, struggling with grief and loss, those kinds of dynamics. So people are coming back and they're saying, you know what? Mental health has always been there. Mental health issues have always been a concern, but now it's becoming more amplified. So because there are more people reporting issues with anxiety and depression, more of these individuals are showing up on the work, in the workplace on a daily basis. We can't afford to ignore it anymore. We have to, yeah, we yeah. Have to be intentional with having conversations. And then I think from, in addition to the cultural shift that's occurring, I think <laughs> hats off to my Gen Z's. I love my Gen Z's and my millennials because they're pushing, they are pushing, what do you call it? They're pushing the needle forward on this thing. They're saying, you know what? Gone are the days when the older folks would, you, 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 you'd be, we call it in Jamaica, you're popping down, you're popping down and you're pushing <laughs> to show up at work. You're ignoring the signs and the symptoms and the warning si- signs that are present that there was something going on with you. You would push past that. The Gen Z's and the millennials are saying, we're not going to do that anymore. Right. We're acknowledging that we're also struggling from a mental health perspective, not just physically anymore, mental health. And we're looking for organizations. We're looking for leaders who are going to be responsive in this regard. And if you as an organization refuse to do this, then we're going to find another organization that's going to be responsive.
0: Right, right. Right. <laughs> I, I I have to say, I really, really enjoy uh, seeing this transition go on. I do I, too. <laughs> I, 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 I really do, because for those of us who have felt this way forever, honestly, mm-hmm. and we were looked at as the oddball, and how come you can't just get along with people, and how come you just don't go along, and that type of thing, and, you know, you find yourself going, well, maybe... Maybe I should, but I can't, I, I, yes. I can't, I can't be someone that I'm not. Good. I can't. I, I, so, so, uh, you know, you, you come to this conclusion and it's so just so good to see an entire generation, not yes. these isolated cases of Absolutely. people who realize that you can't be your best somebody else. Exactly. I can only be my best self. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't know how much you follow you know the uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, <laughs> but there's a there is a uh, there's an endgame. You know, so but this is a bit of nerding out here for a second. So Thor goes back in time to to find his uh, to find one of the one of the the, the stones, and he has, actually gets to see his mom who passed away. And his mom tells him something. It's interesting how these you know movies can have so. Uh, so many little quotes and whatnot that really make sense. But she says, we always do a terrible job of being someone that we're not. We're going to do our best job at being ourselves. and you know, That's not the exact quote, but it's, a, it's that essence. We can't be somebody that we're not. And we as individuals and as organizations should stop expecting it. Yes, Stop expecting people to be something that they're not. You hired people for their set of skills and their ability yes. to contribute to whatever it is you're trying to do. But they're a human being. Yeah. They have days that they don't feel good. And, and they have days that they're feeling really great and have more energy or less. And the question is, what are you doing in the environment you're creating to help that or to hinder that? Yeah, That's just really so important. And I, and I really like, you know, uh, again, it's just interesting to have a person such as yourself who does have both the analytical, linear, sequential approach to things on the one hand, but also... The, you know, the touchy feely, because yeah. it's not, you know, I, I, I believe, particularly as I've had more birthdays, I'm not about binary choices anymore. I'm really not. Yeah. It's not this or that. It's probably yeah. this and that. Yeah. Both and. Yes. Both it's and. We both about. and. Yeah. Right. So, so, so again, you, uh, you talked about the fact that you, in your therapy sessions, you, You tend to, uh, do you tend to have individuals? Do you do families, groups? How how does I do
1: do individuals. um, I do couples and I will do whole families.
0: Right, right. Have you found organizations asking you to do uh, sessions for groups of people?
1: Not yet, but I'm not, I'm not, um, that's the direction. That's a part of the direction in which I'm heading because I'm expecting that to happen
0: sure sure i'm expecting
1: that to happen i think as more as more organizations are become, are coming on board or gaining more understanding of the need for this um that's going to be mainstream
0: yeah i yeah and that that was you know a kind of a leading question because i'm hoping that i was hoping that you would say that because you know a lot of people talk about how their organization is like family we want <laughs> But that what does that mean? I mean, because yeah. people have different experiences and mm-hmm. sometimes even the mention of family is traumatic for people because mm-hmm. in my family and on the other hand, people have these expectations. My family was so wonderful. And, we, and when when those when you call yourself family doesn't match up with my idea of it, you're going to have some challenges. Absolutely. And, and One of those, you know, one of the folks you may need to bring in is someone like you really yeah. to sit with groups. So I'm finding myself. Doing some similar again, not a therapist, but uh, I, I I enjoy talking to groups. But I also enjoy the kind of question and answer session after the fact. Yeah, because that's when I start to we really start to engage with people. And and there are occasions where I go like, wow, as a safety professional, but there's something else going on. I probably need to have you. I have a friend. I need to have you talk to. I mean, seriously. Yeah. I, I, I That's to me that focus on total worker health means. It does. If I, as a safety professional, so I go on to do an investigation of a physical injury, I, and I find out that there is a psychosocial root to it, and one of those psychosocial roots is the mental health of the person, why do we just stop? Why don't we do something to try to help preserve that person? Because that work actually often is a lot cheaper than finding a new person. It really is. It really is. If we took the time to get them into, you know, uh, again, I was in the fire rescue service for a lot of years. And I'm of the opinion that virtually everybody I work with needs therapy. I I, I believe it. I, a lot won't do it because yeah. of societal pressure and, you know, stigmas the, well, that we still have stigma. to Stigma, Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And I, barriers I, too, because, you know, you, you mentioned something earlier on about being, you know, when we were talking earlier about Georgia and people wanting help but not being able to access help so that's the other piece there are lots of people who want to get help but can they access it you know perhaps you have the nearest therapist or provider being 50 miles away does the individual have a vehicle to get there does the individual have insurance to access a provider or if they're not able to they don't have insurance can they provide can they are they able to pay out of pocket so it's it's the stigmas that you're dealing with but you're also having these barriers that you have to overcome for those people who want help and it's very difficult accessing help
0: you, you and you you talked a little earlier and something i wasn't aware of i think b- before we were recording so i wanted to to revisit it you you's, there's actually a there are occasions when you have to travel to other states because they have recently, lack of resource or recently, share, absolutely. share a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. Recently, I worked I was working in um, California, so I'm based in Florida. But quite recently, California had a strike. Mental health professionals were on strike, including social workers, um, uh People in rehab centers, counselors, uh, marriage and family therapists like myself, psychiatrists, psychologists, and so uh, we were mobilized. A number of us were mobilized from across the country so that we could fill the gap for one of a better word, um, and it was needed tremendously. Uh, when I found out that one of the one of the reasons why the strike was on, as a matter of fact, was that workers were wanting the organization to bring in more workers because clients were not being able to see a therapist except every couple of months no no when I, I my when I came back I said to my clients you know I spoil you guys because I see you every week and if 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 you needed to see me twice a week and I was available to do it I would but then we were we're dealing with clients in this setting for example who probably would have access to a therapist once every three four months <laughs> imagine somebody who's in crisis so imagine somebody who's dealing with um, suicidal ideation. And very interestingly, quite a few of the clients that I crossed paths with uh, while I was on that assignment, they were coming, they were seeking support because of psychosocial stresses at work. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Quite a few of them.
0: Wow. Wow. Well, there's just, there's, there's really such a need. And uh, yeah, there's, there's such a need. And It's, uh, it's really a shame that, you know, in the richest country in the world, uh, we have these kinds of situations where people, again, are in need of basic, you know, I I honestly believe that I, you know, this is, I've kind of evolved on this thought I didn't think about it before, but this is a part of basic healthcare. It really is basic healthcare. And, and, and I can make the argument again, as a, from a safety professional kind of perspective, I'm. Coming to the belief that the psychosocial hazards, the psychological health and safety, the attention to mental health, may be more important than the physical part. To be quite honest, because Absolutely. if you can, if you can start to address things when I just felt something, rather than waiting until I actually, it actually happened, you could probably avoid some of the things actually happening.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, we we operate in an or in a in an environment in which it's more we're more. We're less preemptive or proactive. Mm. We are reactive. So it's oftentimes when things have gone, the, the horse has gone through the gate, that's when we typically seek to respond. But you're right in saying um, tending to mental health concerns early or putting it on the same level of priority as we would physical will benefit us in so many ways because. It would help to mitigate some of the physical issues that we're, we're dealing with. I think I was reading earlier on about the U.S. Labor um, Department of Labor sharing that most injuries on the job occur on Monday mornings, on Mondays, mm. all, all the days in the week. Mondays are the days when most injuries occur. This the U.S. Bureau of Labor. Um, and there are, of course, several reasons why that that could be. But when you think from a psychological standpoint, I really believe it's a lot of, it's a lot of when you're stepping out of the weekend into work mode, there's that psychological shift that has, has to occur. So it's more psychological than anything else. There are lots of things taking place in your life on the weekend, right? You show up on Monday morning and you're having to transition shifting in your mind. Lots of things kind of fall through the crack in between, you know, people are coming to work, you're dealing with lots of issues, whether it's you know, dealing with divorce at home, dealing with caregiving at home, dealing with teenagers at home, so many different things are going on in the person's life. So again, coming to work, you cannot separate the worker from the person. So if I'm willing to deal with the individual as a whole being, and I create an environment in which that person is able to show up fully as themselves and to function healthily as themselves. Then I also believe that will help to mitigate some of the physical injuries that are occurring.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I, I I do have a bit of a bias. I I have to be honest, but uh, because I I'm not really impressed with most EAP systems. But to, <laughs> I, I'm I'm just not. I, I my, fine, my experience hasn't fine. been great. Yeah, 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 yeah. But 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 you know, uh, generally that's where people have to go. as yeah. uh, they have to go to to quote to EAP. What's your observation? I mean, are, are you seeing some of those systems that actually do work? I mean, what what component how 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 can that work better? So
1: so so EAP works when, number one, your workers are aware that the benefit exists. Most workers don't know. And, and it was so interesting when we were, when we were doing the training um, in New Jersey recently. That was <laughs> one of the conversations that we had when you are onboarding staff, new employees, you're throwing a bunch of information at them and somewhere along the line in it, you may mention EAP, but they never hear about it again afterwards, right? So a worker could go through, could be working in an environment for years and not even be quote unquote aware that the benefit itself exists. Mm. Again, bringing in mind those two individual clients I was seeing who I had to put on leave they didn't know of what their organization had to offer in that regard. They just sought out a therapist because their lives, they they were at the brink and they could not go on as they were anymore. So most people are not aware that EAP exists. That's, that's, that's the first thing. Uh, Probably have to do a better job of ensuring that people are more aware of it. Um, And I think the other thing I wanted to mention, as far as that was concerned is that I think it's just like organizations kind of function like human beings. We, we just give the bare minimum <laughs> so we meet the minimum requirements Dr. Daniel so EAP for one of a better term meets the minimum requirements of perhaps what the yeah we t- we take the box we take the box wow unfortunately
0: wow. yeah yeah so <laughs> oh my lord so um you're you're on today uh with a you know with a safety professional and I know that you, know, you do a lot of work with with other safety professionals what what was there a was there a particular situation circumstance or thing that got you interested in working more with safety folks uh, or, or, or and how do you find the experience of hanging out with safety people?
1: You know, I, I, so I'll, I'll answer your, your second question. I hang out more with y'all than I do my own folks. <laughs> I'm, I'm running circles more with OHS and EHS professionals than I do actual psychotherapists. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I enjoy the environment. Sure. Again, I believe because my background is environmental engineering. So I was in that world for a while. So I think my comfort zone is there in all honesty. It's easy interfacing with y'all. okay okay Okay. all right how did i get into it very interesting so Khalila and i met when i was an engineer she was my client (laughs) she was my client yeah so i had some work that i was doing um on behalf of her organization and she was the liaison at the time and so we became very good friends so we kind of maintained the friendship we probably we probably go back to about 2010 2011 we maintained the friendship over the years and so i think it was in the thick of covid 2020 She reached out to me and her push now is wanting to amplify again the mental health piece of safety, because again, you all have done an amazing job when it comes on to physical health. So she wanted an opportunity to start amplifying that aspect of um, safety in general. So she reached out to me and she asked me to write an article, first of all, for something that she was going to be doing. She wanted to quote that article. Um, And then we had an opportunity to put together a webinar on behalf of BIZ. It's it's an arm of ASSP. We did the webinar. She told me she was uh, going to put a proposal together for the ASSP conference. And so we ended up presenting in 2021 at the ASSP conference in Texas. And then she also pitched our proposal to the NSC. So we presented to the NSC in 2021 in Orlando. And then we had another, we're on a roll. We're like, okay, look, Whatever we're, we're presenting or whatever we're pitching, there's room for it. People are open to it. We got another opportunity to present at um, San Diego recently for the NSC conference. And then we said, you know what, we're going to take it up a notch. She 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 coined this terminology called the five eyes. I'm not going to get into them because I don't remember all of them. But one of them had to do with amplifying mental health literacy mm-hmm. in the work environment. And so recently, again, I had an opportunity to put together a manual um, that kind of helps to, you know, bring the basic understanding of what mental health is without trying to make anybody into a therapist. But we were able to put together, uh, I put together that manual and we had that opportunity of going into L'Oreal recently and doing a two day training, full day, um, equipping people that we now call their emergency response team, but we now dub them mental health peer supporters
0: right and so we
1: provide that provided that training they're certified for two years and those individuals now have the opportunity to serve as like first line support systems for anybody who might be experiencing a mental health challenge or a crisis on the job so it was almost like i don't know serendipity
0: yes yes and
1: it works you know i i i particularly enjoy working with this arena because you already have the infrastructure in place. Yes. All you're doing is just adding the mental health piece portion to it, but you already have a system in place.
0: Yes, yes, it is. I, I again, I don't know that I, um, that I'd heard that story before because strangely enough, uh, the room that you all taught in in Orlando just happened to be the same room that I was speaking after you all, so oh, that's wow. how I met. That's how I met because oh, wow. I think you had. <laughs> I think you had left for another presentation because yeah. you all were back to back, and that's how I met her. And and uh, interestingly, she was one of my early guests on the podcast because I thought, and I, I'll go here. I thought I was the only black person in the United States who knew anything about psychological health and safety. To be quite honest, I I was yeah. still fairly new myself, but I I you know saw so her her passion around the topic, yes. you know, and uh, the fact that you know you all are buddies and good good friends. And all, it's yes. just it's encouraging. It yes, really it is. is because everything has to start somewhere Yes, and it has to start with someone. Someone has to, you know, someone has to get the idea. And then as you, you know, as you take this passion to other people, you start to link up and you go like, Oh, Oh, you're Oh, Oh, Oh. And before yeah, you know, you're it, beginning
1: to find more people, yeah.
0: that's, that's, that's exactly right. Exactly. Right. And I, I, I anticipate uh, that there will be more uh, that, uh, that, that's going to happen in this space, and and the other thing I, I have to say as we start to come to a close is it's encouraging to see the diversity of people involved as well, because many of the trends, fads, changes, what have you, at least in this country, they get started, and people of color and women get left out. Yes, and and I don't think that those systems work all that well. I've shared this with folks. I found this out in my research that the Occupational Safety and Health Act, when it was written in 1970, the 535 people that were a part of the 91st Congress that approved it were probably great people, but only 2% of them were women. Wow! And only 2% of them were people of color that I'm able to, now there might be a couple others, but they didn't, they didn't say it out front. (laughs) So, right. so now here we are, fifty plus years later. We have a system that lacks perspective. It's not bad. It's right. the, it's done great work, but it lacks perspective. The OSHA still assumes that all workers are men. Mm. It, 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 it uses it uses those that kind of language. His employer, his work, his. Hold it! I mean, roughly half, and in some cases, more than half the working population are women so why 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 hasn't that changed and and again of the 19670 words in the act psychological is mentioned twice wow so the act wasn't it wasn't you know it wasn't set up to do this but now we're starting to it was to have relevant
1: this... for its time Absolutely. and now it does need
0: to be upgraded um it, it and does.
1: the hope is i'm hoping that it comes naturally Yes. But I also recognize that whether we whether we respond to the, the, the situation at hand or not, there's some things that are going to happen by force, because, again, the people who are entering into the work world, a.k.a. the Gen Z's <laughs> and the millennials, they're taking it by force. Like yeah. they're, they're taking it by force. We see the trends playing out, whether it's soft quitting or quiet quitting or whatever you want to call it. It's happening. It's happening. And um, organizations can't afford to sit comfortably anymore because you won't be allowed to sit comfortably anymore or else you will not be relevant. That's
0: just the honest that, truth. That, 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 that's right. That's right. I I, I say that, you know, uh, you may not like change, but you'll dislike irrelevance even more. Absolutely. <laughs> because that's what's coming. Yeah. Yes. So so if, um, if there are folks who are either listening in uh, either wherever they get their podcast, or uh, perhaps watching us on YouTube or wherever they, uh, you know, might see the, the the video component of this session. How can folks get a hold of you?
1: Sure. So I am prolific on LinkedIn. I love connecting with people on LinkedIn. Uh, my handle at LinkedIn obviously is at Georgia Bryce. If you type Georgia Bryce, I should come up. Uh, probably I m- might be Georgia Bryce Hutchins at this point in time, but I think my, my handle is still Georgia at Georgia Bryce. Um, I also am on for those people who are specifically looking for me as a therapist. I, I am on psychology today. Pull my information up. I'm located. I'm based in Florida. So I, I cover the entire state of Florida. I'm also looking now to get more into other states. So I'm preparing licensure, to engage other states um if somebody needed to reach me via telephone my number is 786-471-8312 again that's 786-471-8312 and i know you're waiting to hear about my website i do have a website but i'm updating it now so i don't necessarily want to send people over to that because it doesn't fully reflect who i am at this stage of my 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 life um for individuals, again, one of my thrusts is towards corporate uh, amplifying uh, mental health awareness in the corporate setting. So, if there are individuals who are looking to reach out, wanting additional information on that, please feel free to get in touch with me. Um, I'd be more than happy to have a conversation with you to find out what the needs of your organization um, are, and
0: we 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 collaborate on doing something. Georgia Bryce Hutchinson, you are a superstar. Thank you so much. Uh you, for, for, for what you shared with us in this episode. I, you know, I, I think folks are going to walk away with some things to think about. And uh and again, if while they're thinking they they uh, they need you, uh need, you know, to to get a hold of you, we've now provided that opportunity. And again, I just uh it's just exciting, exciting to be able to to talk to folks like yourself who have particular expertise, particular expertise that I certainly don't have myself. I, you know, I, I, do okay. But as I said, I, I, I think we should get, you know, people who have expertise in the areas where we need help.
1: Absolutely. I think at this, Absolutely. At, at this stage, you know, nobody needs to operate in a silo. It, it, right. It's not necessary. Um, right. Find the people who have what you want and collab. That's what Kalila and I do. I think we create a very, very good, we have a good, team going, or a good dynamic going. Um, I know nothing about auditing. I'm not even going to try and learn anything about auditing, but I know what I know in terms of mental health and bringing those two worlds together
0: is definitely a win. Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, thanks very much. I certainly enjoyed the conversation. And uh, I I just want to invite those, uh, again, if you're watching or listening in, uh, we're here every Friday with a new episode on the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. Uh, you can follow us wherever you get your podcast. I'm also very active on LinkedIn. Uh, I do have a website. But you can find that information out by following me on LinkedIn. As a mm-hmm. matter of fact, <laughs> it actually makes it easier. So again, thanks very much for the time that you've taken today. Uh, I've certainly learned, and uh, you know, I, I feel uh, inspired and encouraged myself to continue this work. And so, until next time, um, we uh, you know we will look forward to the next opportunity to share with you right here on the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. Thanks very much. Tune in each Friday for new episodes of the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. If you have a story or know of one that needs to be told, reach out to us on LinkedIn or send an email to david at id2-solutions.com Or go to the FlourishDX website at FlourishDX.com. We'll see you next time.